Hey there. How y'all doing? Good. Good. Like two people are good. Everybody else is <laughs> a little sad inside, apparently. Um, so before I get into the message, oh, first of all, my name is John Anderson. It's great to be with you guys. Um, uh, and before I get into the message, I just want to share just a little uh, part of the Door Creek family. We have an update that we wanted to share with you guys and, and ask you for your prayers. So uh, as some of you know, uh, we had a team this past week, a week ago Saturday, uh, head out to, or head down to New Orleans to work with a ministry there called Urban Impact. And this is a ministry that we've been uh, partnering with as a church for a little while now. And during the week, uh, part of that team was working on a house, which is a very common project that they do while they're down there. And uh, they were there along with another team actually from Minnesota. And while they were on site, uh, the house suddenly and very suddenly from reports collapsed on the team. And uh, amazingly, no one uh, was killed in the accident. But one of our uh, members here at Door Creek, Carl Opitz, uh, many of you know him, uh, was actually standing outside the house working and the outer wall of the house fell directly onto him. Um, and amazingly, people were able to get with, to him within seconds and get him to the hospital. And uh, since then, he's been in the ICU. And as of just a few hours ago, the latest update I got is that uh, he's in stable condition. Uh, his prognosis is good, but that it looks like it's, he's going to be down there for a while, and that recovery is probably going to be months in the process. Uh, his wife, Karen, was able to join him within about 24 hours of the accident happening. Uh, the team has really come around him well. Uh, people are praying for him uh, in our church here, and letters or emails have gone out. But with the permission of the family, we just wanted to share that with everybody and ask you guys uh, to be praying for Karen and for Carl, uh, both now, but really even in the weeks and months to come as they continue to go through uh, what is the new normal for them. And, uh, and if anybody's here interested in helping and come alongside them, again, most help would be upon their return. Um, we just ask you to contact Bob Goodsell. He's our pastor of care right now. And you can call him or email him, and he's kind of coming up with a care plan for that couple. And, and the rest of the team, uh, just so you know, is on their way back uh, this weekend. And uh, just pray for their safe return, uh, which is actually happening very soon. So um, what I'd ask now is just that we take a moment together and pray for Carl and for Karen and for their, his health and, and their recovery together. Um, so let me just pray for them. And as we all, please join me. Father God, uh, we just confess we don't know why these things happen. We don't want them to happen. They seem they are wrong. And yet we thank you that you spared Carl's life and the rest of the team. And we pray for his recovery. We pray that you would be with the nurses and the doctors and the rest of the staff, that you would guide their decisions. And we just pray that by your power and your healing touch that you would help Carl to recover quickly and fully. We pray for Karen uh, throughout this time as well. I pray that you would bring people around her to care for her, love her, support her uh, as she's in a role of caring for her husband. And we just pray for us as a church, God, help us to not forget, help us to come around them in these coming weeks and months as they continue to go through this journey. And we just pray that um, even this might be to your glory. Uh, in your name, amen. All right, thanks. 
Um, so as I said, uh, my name is John Anderson, and I'm uh, one of the pastors on staff here at Door Creek. Uh, actually, I oversee all of community development, so I've been working closely with the New Orleans team the last few days. Uh, and, and really, my role is overseeing all things local, national, and, and global. And occasionally, I get to be here teaching, which is kind of a, a rare treat for me. Now, there's probably a couple of you who remember last time I was here, I was threatening or at least prepared to run out of the room at any given moment um, because we were expecting our third child at any given moment. They put me on a weekend where my wife legitimately could have given birth, and we were like, this could be an amazing story to tell. <laughs> um, but I think, thankfully, that didn't happen, and, and, but it was a couple weeks later that our daughter was born. Here's her picture on November 5th. Aww, she's always like that. So uh, this is Hazel, Hazel Anderson. She was born on November 5th, and uh, mom, baby, siblings are all doing well. And so I just want to thank you for the many of you who are praying for us and your support as we enter um, our new stage as a family, which I think is officially just called crazy. So <laughs> it's good, though. It's so good. Um, now, tonight, we're talking about the topic of doubt. And doubt is one of those things that I think most of us, uh, I know I deal with all the time in a whole bunch of different ways, sometimes big, sometimes small. For example, right now, um, I'm at a point with, as a parent of three kids, I'm legitimately doubting whether I will ever feel well-rested again, <laughs> right? Or, and some of you are like, you won't, good luck. You got like 18 years, man, and then you're gonna be too old to feel well-rested, I don't know. <laughs> or here's another doubt that's just really real, this is real as of yesterday. I'm doubting whether or not I'm ever gonna eat at another restaurant other than Culver's. Like my kids, re the word restaurant and Culver's are synonymous to them. I'm so done with just like the chicken fingers. I love the Culver's custard, but I'm ready to move on. And see, and doubts like this, they're easy to laugh off, right? And we have doubts like this in our lives all the time. But there's other doubts that can be a source of major anxiety, especially when they're around life's biggest questions. Like, is anybody really out there? When I pray, does anybody hear? Or what really happens the moment I die? I mean, do I really know? I'm not sure. Or maybe your doubts are more along the lines of, is God really good? I mean, really? Because I see the world, right? I read the news. I hear these stories about Carl. Why do bad things happen to good people? Or maybe on the flip side, why do good things happen to bad people? Or maybe for you, it's more doubts along this line where you're, you're reading the Bible and maybe for you, it's a story you've read a hundred you know, times before and all of a sudden, this time when you read it, you're like, really? Is this really true? Did this really happen? And these doubts can creep in at any given moments. And struggle with these kind of questions and these kind of doubts, they can cause a really real fight in our spiritual lives, in our spiritual journeys. Now, this is week three of our series called The Fight. And this series uh, is a four-week series going through some of the topics that we all deal with. So, so far we've covered our identity. Last week, RD talked about our past. And today we're going to talk about doubts. And the goal of this series is hopefully to create a safe space to talk about some of the common struggles that we all deal with, that are universal to the Christian experience, to the human experience. And our hope is, is to learn together about how we can go through some of these struggles and find greater health, healing, and perhaps even joy in the midst of the fight. And just to be straight up with you guys, just to kind of set expectations, right? Here's my goal for tonight. 
It is not to resolve all your doubts, right? When you leave, you're like, man, that was the best, like, 35 minutes of my life. No more doubts ever. That's, sadly for you, not my goal. My goal is also not to actually encourage you to stop doubting. But my goal is this, is to help us all see that healthy doubting is not actually the opposite of faith, but that it's an essential and necessary part of it. Because doubt is just part of the Christian, I would say part of the, like I said, the human experience. And it's going to be there until Christ returns and sets all things new. Uh, Paul writes it this way in 1 Corinthians 13, 12. He says this, For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. So we only see in part now. Then we'll see perfectly. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Now, I don't know about you and your experience uh, within, you know, the church community, um, but mine has been at times that there can be sometimes a, a sense of shame that comes around doubting. And sadly, I think this is most true within the church community. But now on the flip side, there's also can be a, a very common perception by those outside the church community that Christianity, to be a Christian, to follow Christ, requires that we check our brains at the door. Right, that we don't ask any deep questions. We just believe and follow, right? Whatever the pastor says. And, and, and maybe uh, when it comes to doubt, your view of Jesus is something actually, if you're honest with yourself and we're honest with ourselves, is a little bit like this famous scene from Star Wars. I can't avoid a Star Wars reference right now. Where Darth Vader says, I find your lack of faith disturbing. You all know the reference? Where are my fellow nerds? Yes, there's, yes. <laughs> Thank you. There we go. So if you don't know the scene, if you're like one of the three people on the planet that doesn't know this, so there's somebody who's questioning uh, the power of the Death Star and then going on to question the power of the Force. And Darth Vader, without even going across the room, just kind of holds up his hand and the man begins to choke. It's such a great scene. And it's so not biblical. So for me, just to, you know, again, to continue to just be open with you guys, doubt is very much part of my own faith journey. So I grew up in a family where uh, both my parents are Christ followers. And uh, growing up, I was homeschooled from uh, when I started school all the way up through sixth grade. And the reason they decided to do that for me and actually all my siblings was very much grounded in their faith convictions and their desire for us to be grounded in our own faith. And being part of the church was central to our lives growing up. It wasn't just going on the weekends, like church was our other family. It was a huge part of our lives. And as I look back, I, man, I, I feel so fortunate. I had a great childhood. I had loving parents. I have loving parents. I have awesome siblings. I had uh, a wonderful community that came around us that was our church. And as I was growing up, I internalized uh, a very specific understanding of who God was and how to read the Bible and just kind of how my whole understanding of Christianity. And that view, that understanding, wasn't really challenged uh, up through high school. And then I went to the UW. <laughs> and my freshman year, I took my first biblical studies classes here uh, in Madison at the UW. And it was there that my, my faith was fundamentally shaken because I was taught these things by someone far smarter than I will ever be, these views about the Bible that started to make me question 
is it really without heirs? Is it really inerrant? Or are these stories that I, I've grown up reading and hearing and listening to over and over again, are they really historically accurate? And the things that I was being confronted with in my class were taking on something that, without even realizing it, was sacred to me. They were these beliefs that gave my life purpose and hope and meaning. And suddenly, they were all kind of up for grabs. And as you can imagine, like those kinds of doubts, that was scary to be going through that. And at the same time, uh, I was connecting with, uh, for me, what was the most vibrant Christian community of peers I'd ever been a part of. I got involved in a number of different campus groups, and it was there that I found this incredibly safe place to ask my questions, even the ones that I felt like nobody should be asking. And I found a place that I could process those questions with my peers and other loving adults who loved Jesus, but were open in many cases with me about some of their own doubts. And like for so many people, that time in my life became an incredibly formative time of my faith and understanding who God is, who I was. And it was an incredible time of growing. Now, let me be really clear. I'm not sharing that story to illustrate about that, like that one time that I struggled with doubt, but then I got over that and got into ministry and it's been ever good ever since. Right? That's not my point. My point is rather to point to what for me became this healthy doubting process, which for me resulted in an even uh, stronger grounding in my faith in Christ. And this experience for me, again, highlighted the way that I want to continue to deal with my doubts and to come alongside others as they're going through theirs. And I found uh, in my own story this quote by Oz Guinness, Uh, to be both true and helpful. So I just want to share it with you guys. It'll be up here on the screens. He says this, if ours is an examined faith, we should be unafraid to doubt. If doubt is eventually justified, we were believing what was clearly not worth believing. So let me just pause there. So he's saying, if you're believing in something, you doubt it, and you find out it's not true, great, right? You've given up on something that you shouldn't have been believing in the first place. That's wonderful. But then he goes on to say this. But if doubt is answered, our faith has grown stronger. It knows God more certainly and can enjoy God more deeply. Now for me, at this time in my life, and continuing to this day, this perspective was like a breath of fresh air. Oh, so good. Because it said we don't have to be afraid to doubt. In fact, I discovered that it's possible that doubting can help us grow in our faith and lead us into a deeper relationship with God. And this continues to be good news for any of us here who are going through doubt, who are wrestling with doubt. And not only that, but we find out that we're not alone. Just quickly, quickly going through scripture, you see that we are in really good company for those of us who doubt. Here's just a a few examples of doubt uh, found in the Bible. I'm just gonna run through these really quick. Uh, Abraham and Sarah, these are the couple that God said, I'm gonna take you and out of you, I'm gonna bring a nation. I'm gonna bless all nations through you. And yet they doubted God would protect their family or give them the promised son. Uh, Moses, remember the guy who like split the sea, right? Brings out the Israel, does all those amazing things in front of Pharaoh. 
doubted, Moses doubted uh, that he really was the one God wanted to use to set the Israelites free. And this, this is so amazing, this context. This is while talking directly to God in the midst of a burning bush, right? God is talking to him in a burning bush that doesn't burn up, but it's burning, but it's not burning. And Jesus, Moses is like, I don't know, I don't know. Really, do you mean it, God? Or here's another example, King David, the one who's described as a man after God's own heart. Arguably the greatest king in Israelite history wrestled with doubt over and over again and he expresses it through the number of the Psalms. Peter, one of Jesus' dearest friends, he starts out with great faith by getting out of the boat. Remember in the middle of the storm, he walks out on the boat, begins to walk on water, comes toward Jesus and suddenly starts to doubt and sink. And that's right after having just like walked on water. John the Baptist the guy who baptized Jesus, who told everybody that he possibly could, you guys, he is the one. He's the one we've been waiting for. The Messiah, the hope for one, the hope of the world. He doubted when he was thrown into prison. But possibly my, my favorite example is this one. It's found at the uh, end of ch Matthew uh, chapter 28. And here, here's where the story is. So at this point, there's 11 remaining disciples. Remember, there's 12, and then one of them betrays Jesus, so now we're down to 11. And these are the 11 guys who have spent the last few years with Jesus, right? They've been eating with him, walking with him, going everywhere, listening to him. They've seen him do miracles. They heard him talk, predict his death and then resurrection, and then they saw him die, and then they've hung out with him since he's come back from the dead, if there's anybody you would think who has an unshakable faith, it would be these 11, right? And yet I love what this says. In Matthew 28, 16 through 17, it says this. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him. And these next three words are amazing. But some doubted. I mean, What? Like, how is that in the, this is what I love this about the Bible. Like, how, why is it, how is that included if it's not true? And, and we see here that the heroes of the faith, they, all of them experienced doubt. And so we should not be surprised in our own faith journeys when we experience doubt as well. And so if doubt is inevitable, then the question becomes, how do we deal with doubt in a healthy way where our doubts lead us into greater truth? They lead us towards the source of all truth. I want to look at uh, one of the most famous stories in all of Scripture about doubt. My guess is many of you know this story. The story about doubt is so popular, it's entered our popular vernacular, right? We know that it is not good <laughs> to be a doubting Thomas. Nobody's like, yep, that's what I want to be, right? But there's so much more to this story than the stereotype. So I want to just invite you, uh, open up your Bible apps or your Bibles. We're going to look at this together. Uh, it's in John chapter 20. John chapter 20. It's the fourth of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We're just going to look at this short story together about doubt. Now, as you turn there, let me just give you a little bit of context. So Jesus um, has recently just risen up from the dead. He said he was going to do it. He's done it. And now a few of the disciples have witnessed him in person. They've actually spent time with him. But for whatever reason, Thomas wasn't there. He was one of the disciples, but he wasn't there. And so his buddies are so excited to tell him. 
And that's where the story starts. John chapter 20, verse 24. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. (laughs) Bummer for him. (laughs) And so the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord I mean, imagine the scene, right? This is amazing. These guys, remember, they've been hanging out a ton. They've spent the last few years together. They've hung out. These are close, close buddies. And they're saying, dude, check this out. He's back. And how does Thomas respond? Well, this is the part of the story most of us know. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hands into his side, I will not believe. Let's just pause there for a second because this is where we tend to get kind of hard on Thomas. But I just want to put yourself in his shoes for a moment, okay? Just imagine this for a second. Let's just say that you recently went to your grandmother's funeral and some of your close friends were there because, you know, they're there to support you. And a few days after the funeral, they come up to you and they're like, a most amazing thing. Saw your grandma the other day. In fact, not only saw her, we hung out and played euchre. Because, I don't know, that's what grandmas do, right? Or, I don't know. Now, how do you respond to this? Are you like, sounds about right? No. We have a category for people who die. They stay dead. And so, I don't know. I, to me, it seems very understandable. Thomas is struggling to believe this amazing claim. So, let's continue the story. In verse 26. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them, which is great. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you, which again, I just can't help but laugh, right? He just shows up through locked doors, and his first words are peace. So awesome. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting. And believe. And Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Okay, so notice what happens here. When Jesus shows up, what does he not do? He doesn't disparage Thomas's doubts. He's not like, all right, Thomas, come over here. I'm going to talk to you privately. Or he doesn't like call him out in front of everybody. He's like, y'all did a great job. Thomas, not so great. So let's just write that down for all eternity so he can be an example to everybody to not be like this guy. No, what does Jesus do? When he shows up, he comes right up to Thomas and he invites him to touch the wounds in his hand, to put a hand in his side. He moves directly towards the things that were Thomas's doubts. And what is Thomas's response? He responds in faith. He says, my Lord, my God. And so Thomas shares these honest doubts and then he believes when he's faced with the evidence. And Jesus's response to his doubts, they're full of grace and gentleness and love. And this is so important that we see this here. Jesus is not after some kind of blind, unthinking faith. Faith in him is grounded in evidence. And the author John, he's using this story as a much larger case for the whole gospel, for future audiences, for people like me and people like you to make the case to show that Jesus was the anticipated savior for all people. 
the ultimate foundation for faith, and the one person who can stand up to even our greatest doubts. Amen? But let's get kind of practical with our lives. Practically, what does this mean for our lives? As we leave here, as we go out into our week, what difference does this make? Well, first of all, it's important as we leave, I hope this sticks, to remember that doubt is okay. Doubt is normal. In fact, faith without doubt is not faith. It's certitude. And certitude can be dangerous because it says we're right, you're wrong if you disagree, and there's no room for discussion, right? Certitude tends to make people into hardened, harsh individuals. The greatness of God is so beyond our limitations as human beings that it's impossible for us to fully comprehend him. It's just too great. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers of all time, said this. I just want to share this quote with you, and I'll just say this. It's a little thick, but it's so good I had to share it with you tonight. So I'm going to read through it slowly. The words will be up here on the screen. So he wrote this. I think when a man says, I never doubt, it is quite time for us to doubt him. It is quite time for us to begin to say, oh, poor soul. I'm afraid you're, you are not on the road at all. For if you were, you would see so many things in yourself and so much glory in Christ, more than you deserve, that you should be so much ashamed of yourself as even to say it is too good to be true. So this is what he's saying. He's saying that if we saw God for who he really is, then we would be incredibly humbled by seeing who we are in comparison. The good news, the gospel, the good news of God's love for us is so vast, it is hard to believe that it's really real, that's really true. Can that really be, that something that good be for real? That's the gospel. And so it's important for us to recognize that doubt is not evil. And it, it need not come with shame or be viewed as a sign of moral or intellectual weakness. Doubt just admits that we don't have all the answers. That's a good thing. Doubt and doubts in general are neutral. It's how we deal with them that matters. Uh, the author Donald Miller sums up this idea of doubt being normal like this. He writes this. So what matters in life is not avoiding doubt. No one can do that. What matters is how we choose to deal with our doubts when it crops up. Doubt is not inherently bad or inherently good. It's just a question of how it can be worked towards ends that are healthy and redemptive and not sick and destructive. So what makes doubt good or bad is not its presence, but its outcome. Okay, so number one, doubt is normal. But number two, I have things to take away as you leave tonight, is that not all doubt is good. There is such a thing as unhealthy doubt. And I like the definition of unhealthy doubt is this. Unhealthy doubt is when we ask questions, but we don't really want to know the answers. And when we do that, that can really lead to destructive ends. So let me just say that again. Unhealthy doubt is when we ask questions, but we don't really want to know the answers. 
We're just kind of asking to distract, to obscure the issue, to waste time, to not really get to the heart of whatever's going on. Let me give you an example from my own life. Um, Perhaps some of you guys can relate to this. So there's times uh, in my life where I can live out unhealthy doubt in the context of my marriage. It's true. So imagine the scenario, totally made up. My wife and I uh, have both just come back from a, a long day's work, and I'm tired. So I lay down on the couch, and our kids are just kind of running around, playing, and all of a sudden my youngest starts to cry. And I don't know how, like, if everybody's kids are like this, but mine seem to be like, kind of like telepathically connected, so that the moment that happens, the other two decide this is the perfect time that we should start fighting over this toy. And so, you know, within about three seconds, chaos breaks out. And instead of uh, getting up off the couch and and parenting, I call out to my wife, Honey, do you need any help with this? Because I'm doubting whether I'm really needed. That's not really a question, right? I'm not really asking that question. Really what I'm doing is I'm coming up with an excuse to stay on the couch and not do something that I know I should be doing in the first place. And sometimes, sometimes our doubts can be like that with God, where we have questions, but they're just masking the fact that we want to behave in a certain way, and we may be afraid that certain religious convictions might get in the way of our desired behavior. And when we have these kind of doubts, we like to, we generally, I think this is the one way that they kind of show themselves. We like to talk about the issue in general, right? Instead of going at the heart of what's really part of our doubts. And Jesus was a master of moving towards the heart of the matter. As you look through the gospels, there's a bunch of stories where people come up to Jesus and they ask him this question. It isn't really a question. And then Jesus, instead of answering their question, he just cuts right to the heart of the issue and moves towards that thing. That's why a lot of times when you're reading those stories and somebody asks a question, then Jesus answers, and you're like, Jesus, that doesn't even make sense. He's not getting it. But that's because that's a, a great example of unhealthy doubt. Jesus cuts right to the heart of the matter. And through the power of the Spirit and his people, Jesus continues to do that today in our lives. And so how can we avoid that kind of unhealthy debt where we ask questions that aren't really questions actually at all, but instead experience healthy doubt where we're bringing our honest questions before Christ and to process them so that we can become more firmly grounded in the one who is truth. Well, the pattern of scripture is relatively clear on this, which is great. The pattern of healthy doubt looks like this. It's where we're bringing our questions in all their rawness to God. Even if our questions are about God's very existence. And then we process them through scripture in the context of other people, with other people who are also on the same journey of trying to follow Christ. And so um, as you go out and you know, you just think about this week, your life group, or maybe time with your family or friends or neighbors or at your job or wherever it is, I just want to encourage you to think about this question. How can we grow as a church, as a community, as individuals? How can we grow to be the kind of people with whom we can share and process our doubts no matter where we're at in our faith journey? 
right? You've never gotten to the point where like you're just done with doubts. And sometimes we can be afraid to admit that. But how can we become a place where wherever we're at, we can share with one another some of our doubts, always pointing back towards Christ? Or maybe another way to ask that same question. How can we help each other discover that we are not alone with our questions and to process our doubts in a healthy way? Because when we feel alone, that can be scary. We can feel trapped. We can be embarrassed. But that's not true. And here's just a couple quick resources to recommend to all of you uh, in processing our doubts. Number one, if you haven't already, get in a life group. Life groups um, in a church like this can be one of the best places, one of the easiest places to find a safe place to talk about, to process your doubts together. And I know a lot of you are already doing that. A lot of you are in process with that, but I know a lot aren't yet. And so I just want to encourage you, those of you who are not yet in a life group, seek that out. Get in a small group of other people so that you might share life together. It's one of the best things that we can do as a church. And to do that, just go online and all the information is there online where you can find out next steps. Secondly, on our website, uh, a resource we have that probably many of you don't know about is something called Exploring Christianity. And that might be misleading because you might be like, oh, that's just for people who don't yet believe or people who are brand new to the faith. But actually, this is an awesome resource for anybody wherever they're at in their faith journey, for both believers, people who are just exploring to go and find a bunch of recommended resources, whether it's books or talks or videos or a whole variety of resources that relate to some of life's biggest questions. So I just, again, encourage you, go to our website. Those resources are already there. If there's something that you think should be there that's not, you know, send it our way. And we'd love to, we're always kind of updating that with some of the best stuff possible to help people and help each other process our doubts. And as we work through our doubts, Here's what happens. It has the ability to make our faith stronger. It reminds us to be humble and to be gracious to others who are doubting. Jude 1.22 says this, be merciful to those who doubt. And health, healthy doubt also has this added benefit. It helps us root out and discard ideas about Jesus, about the Bible, about Christianity that aren't actually biblical at all. And I know in my life, there's been a lot of things like that that I've had to have weeded out. And I know that will continue to be the case as I come to know him more and more. Healthy doubt and healthy faith are really just two sides of the same coin. One of my favorite authors, and the final quote for tonight, uh, is from a guy named Philip Yancey. And he says it this way. He said, doubt is the skeleton in the closet of faith. And I know no better way to treat a skeleton than to bring it into the open and expose it for what it is. Not something to hide or fear, but a hard structure on which living tissue may grow. I love that image. Now, Christianity, at its most basic level, is about a relationship. And because it's a relationship and not a math equation where we get it right or wrong or a recipe where we put it together and the right thing pops out, it means it's a relationship. It's dynamic. It's always changing. It is not always up and to the right. Doubt is inherently part of that relationship, the side of heaven. 
But in the midst of our doubts, Jesus points to himself again and again and again and again as worthy of our faith, as more worthy than any other person or thing or idea in existence. In Matthew chapter 20, or Matthew 7, rather, Jesus describes faithfully following him, even in the midst of our doubts, like building our lives on a firm foundation. And no matter where you're coming from tonight, no matter where you're coming from, that's something I believe we all long for, right? We want, we long for our lives to be stable, to be built on a firm foundation. And so no matter where you're coming from, where, whether or not you're here, you're listening, you're in another venue, and you feel like Christianity is just foolishness, like you're not actually sure why you're here, or whether or not you're here and you haven't yet placed your faith in Christ, but you're exploring, you're trying to figure this out, you're asking a lot of questions, or you've recently placed your faith in Christ, and you're at that point where you're just so excited about everything, like it's just all amazing, you gotta tell everybody, and you're inviting your friends, and this is like, I can't, you guys, you can't believe this is so, or maybe you're here and, and you've been following Christ for a long time, most of your life. Wherever you're at, I wanna invite us all to bring our honest doubts to Jesus, to process them through scripture with other people and so that we may increasingly have a faith that knows God more certainly and enjoys God more deeply so that we may flourish in the midst of the fight. So let me pray for us. God, even as I, I pray now, I, I confess and realize that this is an act of faith, that by faith, I believe that you hear us and that our prayers matter and that you love us. And I pray, God, that you would help us as a community, as individuals together to increasingly be a place that we can be safe and open about some of the doubts that we wrestle with and that we wouldn't be stuck in them, but that ultimately that we would be grounded more and more in truth and in you so that we might find our lives increasingly built on that rock, on that solid ground until one day, again, by faith, we believe that we will be with you forever. And we look forward to that day. And until then, may it be to your glory. 